Welcome to a very special episode of uh, Broken Cast. Uh, I know that introduction makes it sound like a 90s uh, PSA episode of uh, a sitcom, but we're actually here to talk about our game of the year, and we've got an entire ensemble cast of editors. Uh, so I'm Ray Michelle Richards, uh, editor-in-chief and founder of BrokenJoysticks.net, and joining me as always is Fiona. I'm Fiona Fox. I'm the managing editor. And uh, I'm Renee Gittens. I'm generally our on-site reporter. Okay, and the person who's not speaking is Kenny Keelan. He's one of our correspondent reporters out of the Layman's Gamer. Hey there, everybody. So today we're going to talk about our game of the year. Uh, first of all, we're just going to go real quick around the circle here, and we're going to get everybody's game of the year. We're going to start with Renee, and we're going to go to Kenny, and then we'll go to Ray, and then we'll come back to me very last. And uh, we're all going to say what our game of the year is, and uh, we'll go ahead, and then after that we'll, we'll get into a little bit of discussion about each. So go on ahead. Hi. Um... So for this year, 2015, it took a lot of debate, internal debate with myself, uh, but I decided that my game of the year was The Witcher 3. As for myself, um, my game of the year was a pretty easy choice until about November of this year. It was a tie-up between Fallout 4 and Metal Gear Solid 5, and honestly, Metal Gear Solid 5 just eked it out, but for a lot of the right reasons. Actually, I was going to pick Metal Gear Solid 4 as well, but in the interest of not having two people pick the same game, because that kind of makes the discussion a little bit more uh, a little bit more one side and definitely a lot less dynamic. I'm going to change it up for Heroes of the Storm. Uh, kind of a, a kind of an interesting choice since it's a MOBA and you know MOBAs kind of tend to be infinitely in development and they never really reach a finished state. But uh, I have logged several. I think over, I'd say it's safe, safe to say a couple hundred hours of Heroes of the Storm this year, and it's definitely my favorite game of the year. Uh, well, Fiona just stole my game of the year, so um, I'm going to say uh, that um, Fallout 4 will take my game of the year uh, because it was my most anticipated game this year, and um, it was certainly the game that I spent the most time with in terms of immersion, so... I'm fairly amused that we all seem to have such similar tastes. It's certainly, uh, I, I play a lot of Heroes of the Storm, and Fallout 4 and Metal Gear Solid 5 are also high on my lists. It's interesting, and we've also covered basically, like, only end-of-year games. I mean, there's, not except for Heroes of the Storm, there's nothing in our list that came out in, like, January or February, so... Witcher was May. Yeah, Witcher was in May. <clears throat> oh, it's mid-year, then. Yeah, so I think we have a pretty good list there. I mean, we've we covered all biggest releases of the year, I think. So, does anyone have any honorable mentions? Like, I I have a number. Um, it was really hard for me to to pick how I wanted to approach the game of the year. Uh, I have such a diverse range of games that I like playing. On the more casual side, uh, I think that Rocket League and their approach to to sharing. Uh, events in the game and how it's really helped develop a community is really interesting and I have a bunch of friends who who like playing games but they don't really play games together uh, and that changed when Rocket League came out so it was really cool to see my friend group with their diverse interests in games being really brought together through Rocket League I'm incredibly glad you're mentioning Rocket League because if you hadn't I would have it's definitely um, and I actually have a friend that has like 250 logged hours in Rocket League uh, you actually know it's Kate. Actually, you know her. Um, yeah, 
I mean, just Rocket League, Rocket League, Rocket League every night. Like, and it is just such. I mean, I don't like sports games. I don't like competitive games or sports games very much. And I jumped into Rocket League, and within the first twenty minutes, I was giggling insanely. And just, it's such a ridiculous concept for a game, and it's so fun. Play it in short bursts, no matter like where you're at. I mean, if you just feel like playing something quick and not devoting an insane amount of time to a game it's it's really good for that and the fact that it's really fun and really well put together just kind of brings it together i i I really like yeah and then uh i guess the other game i had been debating nominating was life is strange does episodic content count that's a good question right there i mean i certainly think it counts um it was all released this year so i don't see one on okay valid i would just i just like to argue (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Life is Strange approach to storytelling, the characters are very compelling. Um, I think it was just a very powerful game. And it's one of those games that that I think really helps show how gaming is a medium of expression, a medium of art outside of warfare or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely great. And I want to nominate two games as well. Uh, I can't believe I forgot about these two games when, when we started this discussion. Uh, first of all, I- I'm a giant Warhammer 40k fangirl, so I absolutely have to nominate Warhammer End Times Vermintide, even though it's not in the for- the 40k universe. It's basically, and I hate saying this, but it's ba- it's basically Left for Dead in the Warhammer universe, and you get to pick a character class and fight against endless swarming tides of huge giant rat monsters that are overrunning this beautifully goth, this beautiful gothic city, and everything is dark in tone, and it's honestly a fantastic game. Uh, I have about six hours into it, only because it's really hard to play without a friend group, and I don't know anybody else that plays it, Uh, but it's such a fun game, and it's also very casual, and then we can't forget about Undertale. I mean, we just can't. Like, we we have to give Undertale the mention. Um, For me, I... um... I haven't brought it up, but I think that Final Fantasy XIV Heavensward um, was definitely in the running for me. Um, it's the expansion, of course, to uh, Final Fantasy XIV uh, A Realm Reborn. It came out in June, and uh, the story in Heavensward was just fantastic. And the patch that came out before Heavensward uh, 2.55 kind of left off on a bit of a cliffhanger, uh, left fans wondering what was going to happen. It was really immersive. And then Square Enix had this three-month break, and then Heavensward came out, and um, it was just great to see so many people come back to that community. The story in that game was absolutely fantastic. Uh, In terms of hours played, it was my second uh, most played game this year, next to Heroes, Um, and I think that that deserves an honorable mention for me, at least. Agreed. Uh, MMOs get left out of Game of the Year a lot, I think, uh, because they're really not... They're, they're sort of the same as, as, you know, kind of Heroes is, where they're kind of in an infinite development. You know, you're always getting patches and things, and so it's hard to necessarily choose an MMO as Game of the Year, but uh, I think I think it definitely at least deserves that mention. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, Heaven's Word added a lot more than most expansion packs for, uh, for MMOs do usually, but I mean... That's my opinion, and honestly, I most of my experience with MMOs is more the Oriental-styled MMOs and what have you, so uh, my American MMO experience is mostly World of Warcraft, so that doesn't really say a whole lot, but I did like it as well. That actually was my idea for honorable mention. 
Anybody else have any honorable mentions they'd like to bring up before we move into discussion of actual games of the year? Uh, I guess I can can support your honorable mention of Undertale. Again, that's a really interesting game and a, a very compelling game. And a good game to show that graphics aren't everything. Yeah, it shows that graphics aren't everything. And it, I think it also shows that game development can be a personal journey. And I mean, we could devote a whole podcast just to Undertale. But I mean, Undertale is basically a solo project that just blew up. And it's 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 really an emotionally thought-provoking game. And it's, it's a beautiful game. And... Uh, Play it. I have a lot of friends, especially on the Twitter sphere, who uh, played it and had emotional responses and emotional experiences with the game. So I think it deserves a nod just for that alone. Is it too early for me to nominate Force Awakens for Movie of the Year? That's another podcast. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's go ahead and jump right into discussions. Then we'll go ahead and we'll start with Renee's uh, choice of the of The Witcher Three. Right. Uh, so. The Witcher 3 I find to be a really amazing and compelling game. First of all, I'd like to admit that I am a total fantasy lover, so I've, I loved fantasy books my entire life. Um, the Fable series I found extremely compelling. And what I really liked about uh, The Witcher 3, especially in regards to The Witcher series, is that it kind of takes that note from Fable from the Elder Scrolls series and opens the world and sort of expands on the previous approach to Witcher that was more linear. And I found that really immersive, a really good way to to expand the world and to give the player more opportunities to explore the characters in the world and even sort of Geralt himself. Um, And I I love the writing. I think The Witcher 3 definitely has the best writing of any game that was released this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I found it to be a very compelling game to play. I've, of course, the graphics are beautiful. Um, and then even the combat I appreciated. Uh, while I don't think it has perfect combat, what I really liked about the combat system is that you have uh, Geralt as like a character who has sort of three different paths which he can take or any balance of those his swordsmanship his alchemy and then his his use of magic so i liked that diversity and the ability to to build out his skills as i wanted to play the character uh, and I, I i mostly went with the swordsman myself as that's how i tend to make characters but i really appreciated having that that opportunity to go the direction i desired and I think it has to be mentioned that CD Projekt Red is just a fantastic developer. They don't have any DRM in their games. Uh, most of the profits from their Witcher games do go back into developing their own uh, distribution platform, which is GOG, uh, or Good Old Games. Or are they Green Man Gaming? I always confuse the two. They are not Green Man Gaming. It's Good Old Games. Green okay. Man Gaming is a CD key reseller. Yeah, so they're, they're GOG then, and uh, they, they offer a DRM-free platform that they basically built with profits from the first Witcher game. So, uh, And also, I don't know if you, if you knew this or not, Ray, but they did announce that uh, they're not, not necessarily delaying their Cyberpunk 2027 game, their 2077 game, but that it's being kind of put on the back burner while they develop more Witcher content. Interesting. Um, I wasn't aware of that. That's, that's really cool to hear. They basically um, said that the team that's working on Cyberpunk is still going to be working on the game, but like 
they're going underground for a year and that the company's public focus is going to be Witcher for the next year and that they're doing content beyond the two expansions they've already announced. Most likely because it's been so commercially successful. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, its numbers, if you look back at its its sale numbers, they're honestly the type of sale numbers you would normally only see with an annualized title like Call of Duty or Battlefront. And honestly, it's probably better off that it goes that way as well, because honestly, I think CD Projekt Red is one of those that likes to focus on their projects and squeeze the most out of out of what they can get from the universe and from whatever they have. Because honestly, if I, I feel that if they worked on, say, Witcher content and this new game simultaneously, both would suffer as a result. Yeah, it's it's definitely a choice they're making as a studio, and I, I can back them in that choice. I mean, they didn't exactly announce, as, as Ray mentioned, they really didn't exactly announce that they were working on another Witcher game. It was more like... Don't ex- I think more the the announcement was basically don't expect to hear anything during 2016 about Cyberpunk 2077. Like, don't expect to see gameplay. Don't expect to hear about story details, because we're working on Witcher stuff. Yeah, I think that's very admirable as a uh, as a studio doing that approach and keeping keeping their fans well informed. Um, so I I support that, and I think it's really great that they're trying to produce more content for the game considering its popularity. Oh yeah, I mean they win ethical developer of the year, no question, because they're just everything they do, they do with the fans in mind. You know, it's they're they're great to their fans. All right, well let's let's move on from uh, from The Witcher Three for now. Perhaps we'll revisit it later uh, and move on to Kenny's game of the year. So yeah, I picked um, Metal Gear Solid Five, and like I mentioned before, it was a toss up between. Fallout 4 Metal Gear Solid 5, and there was actually a few factors that went into why I selected Metal Gear Solid 5. Um, one of which was that I've simply been anticipating the game longer. Um, as far as Fallout 4 is concerned, I didn't really... I mean, there was, like, rumors and quote-unquote leaks and what have you, but there wasn't really anything solid for, I'm going to say until E3, uh, where it was basically dropped on us, and it was said, they said basically, oh yeah, it's coming out this year. And Metal Gear Solid Five has been one of those where Kojima's been playing this this uh, like, this like game of you know teasing us through almost the entire development. So I've been anticipating Metal Gear Solid Five for much longer, and I personally am a much bigger fan of the franchise, so... That already has it going for it, but it, to me, as an actual game and as a story, I feel that it's tighter, it's less, it's less um, like victim to normal video game story tropes and things like that. I find that Fallout 4 was very much a great game, but aside from some of the game-breaking stuff and aside from some of the... Um, story tropes that you find in the main campaign. Honestly, I think Metal Gear Solid V um, takes the cake in that one. And also for the fact that it's also a major change for the franchise in terms of image and in terms of uh, the storytelling, there's not a whole lot of these convoluted, like, 30-minute-long cutscenes that aren't proper to the story. They don't, like, they, they all fit when they're in place. Um, the rest of the story content and lore stuff you can digest at your own your own pace if you want, and 
I think that approach is it makes it a lot easier for modern casual gamers to get into it as well and people who haven't really followed the Metal Gear series so like I said I think just as a general all-around experience and a game and a release for its time I think it just does better. Those are very good reasons. Um, personally I, I have a few gripes with Metal Gear Solid 5 and I also think that Konami uh, just for the record I think Konami is completely completely scum uh, at this point. I've officially given up on Konami. Uh, I'm glad that they're moving to mobile-only development, and um, the way that they treated Hideo Kojima after his years of service to their company is reputable at best and absolutely disgusting at worst. Uh, but I think the, the most important thing for me about the Metal Gear series is that I had never played another Metal Gear game until I played MGS5, and so I kind of came into it... I watched like those lore videos on YouTube where like you know they tell you, like, here's what happened in the Metal Gear universe, and if you don't know any justice because it seems like only roughly half of the fan base knows what's going on so it's like these videos sometimes they're really spot on or they're really off base i mean it gave me at least a base to work off of like i needed something because it was i was not going to go in completely blind um i i thought the game was good i thought it was um the set pieces were good i thought the pacing was a little bit a little left a bit to to um to be desired personally and i, I kind of thought that the the way the story was presented uh, through through the cassette tapes was a little bit a little bit contrived, but that's just personal for me. I prefer my story to be presented a little bit differently. So uh, I think Kojima's open world design to stealth was fantastic. I think like how they handled uh, doing open world stealth um, was really cool. I thought the amount of content available was simply staggering, with over 150 side op missions. Um, However, I felt that the two maps that were in the game, the Africa map and the Afghanistan map, didn't have a lot of personality. Whereas when you get Kojima designing a smaller space, like even uh, Ground Zeroes with uh, Camp Omega, it had a personality. Shadow Moses had a personality. And I didn't feel that with, with the world itself uh, in Metal Gear Solid V. And that's probably one of the reasons why this game wasn't on my list. And you know what? That's completely reasonable. You're actually spot on with that, I feel. I mean, in all honesty, it feels as though Metal Gear Solid Five kind of flip-flopped from the usual Metal Gear Solid tropes where it was uh, kind of a fantastic game. It was stylized, and that's something Kojima's really known for. And yeah, it was lacking that, but I think that was more because I guess he was trying for more... I hate using this term, but for a gritty, realistic approach and turned <clears throat> this game into a very serious, a very realistic game. I mean, there was a million ways he could have copped out on this, and I think that, in all honesty, he did very well for the style and the approach that he wanted to take. Um, but yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, there's there's some areas where it feels completely empty and completely useless, and I suppose with open-world games, they sometimes can't be helped. So, um, I actually haven't played Metal Gear Solid Five. However, one of the things that I noticed sort of reverberating through the internet was the debate over Quiet's outfit and her interactions in the game. And certainly as a 
as a female gamer, I found that very interesting um, how how she was approached um, from her outfit to the fact that they made action figures that had squishy boobs uh, of her. <laughs> um, but sort of one of my favorite moments of the approach to, to looking at that uh, series is where they, they swapped out her her character model with um, oh what's his name the the ocelot ocelot <laughs> yeah with ocelot's model and I think that was a really good way to just sort of show how ridiculous the way that she acts is because when you take the the sexy lady out and put in sort of a, a burly guy doing the exact same actions you you just re- realize how ridiculous um, those cutscenes are with her rolling around in the water on the deck and shaking her butt and the obvious like crutch shot passes of the camera oh yeah it, it's completely messed I mean quiet as a character is like half fan service and half actually really developed uh, considering Fujima's uh, uh... alright so I want to respond to the quiet thing really quick um, just to say that Kojima is is He's at least owned up to it, and like he, he basically said, yeah, she's there as a sex appeal. She's literally there for her to be sex appeal, and I think it's pretty despicable that she's in the game to begin with in that manner, but I guess it's made slightly better by the fact that Kojima owns up to it, maybe? I don't know. I have complex feelings on this issue because I don't think that Quiet as a character was necessary in that game at all. Um, especially in, in the in the model that she was the the player model that she was assigned is just ridiculous and I like how Ray I didn't see that video Renee but I'm gonna have to go look for it where they they replace Quiet with with Liquid because that sounds like something I would like to see um, I just I I don't know I mean it's it's a complex issue truthfully as I said I haven't played the game so I can't comment on it too much I mean I was just sort of observing what was occurring on the internet in regards to reactions to her to her character um so I can't speak to whether she was relevant um how much that was justified it's good to know that it was sort of publicly declared that yes she was in there for sex appeal because from what I recall um when when it was like, why is there this chicken there that is wearing no clothes? Uh, I thought Kojima was like, oh, just wait, you're gonna hear her story, and then everything will be okay. And it's because she has a parasite thing. He made up some absolutely ridiculous, obscene, stupid thing about a skin disease, I think, or a parasite, and it has to. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something that was honestly such a contrived explanation that it just, it was like, dude, just stop. Yeah, so I mean, I won't say any more on the topic because there's a bit of a hot button issue. I hate that Quiet even exists in the game. It's it's such a stupid, such an unnecessary and stupid, put her in the game, but for God's sakes, put some fucking clothes on her. I mean, she doesn't need to run around, you know, three quarters naked. I would say half naked. She's not even half naked. She's three quarters naked. And it's just completely, it's a complete play at, at, honestly, I know that in Japan the cultural, the whole cultural thing with women and covering is different than it is here in the States, but it still doesn't justify an, an international multi-million dollar game being released with a character that's just a sex object. Yeah, right. yeah, I would agree with that. So, about the uh, quiet thing, honestly, I've been through this, I've actually had no, um, no qualms about quiet as 
per image, um, in all honesty, because, yeah, there's about 75% of the game. Um, she's a sex object. Uh, Kojima has even went as far as to say that he likes women's breasts. Um, so, you know, his his uh, take on her as an image is rather shallow. I mean, I think that's been pretty obvious, and I'm not trying to defend that he's been out and about about it, but when I do say that that 75% of quiet is as an object for for the most part, um, that I... I will not will not deny but that other 25 percent i i have to say she is a absolutely solid character and relatable if you kind of look beneath that three quarters of just complete objectifying and in all honesty considering that she spends most of the game not saying anything for me it was not that hard to do and to see that she actually develops this kind of awkward relationship with another man who was really not very verbal, was not very uh, active in terms of contributing to more than just the action of the story. I think um, Quiet is... It, she She's a sensitive thing. She triggers a lot of things for a lot of people, and I, I think she deserves a lot of the criticism she gets, but... There is something there. I think they just should have really taken the potential of that instead of creating excuses for her to wear less clothing and creating excuses for her to be sticking her butt and her chest in your face and stuff like that. I just think there was a lot that could have been there, a lot more, and she could have been more like a sniper wolf character as opposed to just this. And that, that to me, is actually an even greater shame than the criticism she's already gotten, which is ironic because you can actually put a sniper wolf outfit on her, um, which I think is pretty great. All right, I'm going to cut you off there because we've been on this topic for way longer than we need to be. <laughs> Let's go ahead and go back to uh, talking about Game of the Year. So uh, we'll switch gears. and uh, So we've talked about a couple of big main release games already. You know, we, talked about, uh, we talked about Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, we got a chance to talk about The Witcher 3, huge release. So now I'm going to talk about something that isn't usually featured on Game of the Year podcasts or Game of the Year lists or anywhere involving Game of the Year. I'm going to talk about a MOBA game. Uh, well, a MOBA game that's not League of Legends. My Game of the Year is Heroes of the Storm. Um, Heroes of the Storm, uh, released by Blizzard into full release this year, is a MOBA game. Uh, just like League of Legends, but it features all of the heroes from the Blizzard universe, from all of Blizzard's properties, including the Lost Vikings, uh, which is something that fans clamored for and got in the end. Um, it is an MOBA, so it is kind of a always-in-development game. Uh, it features some really, really unique uh, things. It doesn't have items. Uh, experience is shared, so there's no last hitting. Uh, it's really targeted at a much more casual uh, community that I think than uh, than the League of Legends is. It's mo there's not as much meta play, and I know I think everybody here plays. Kenny, do you have you ever played it? I do have experience with it. Um, honestly, most of my mobile playing was limited to League of Leg Legends, but I'm always one of those that I like to try everything so that way I get a better idea of what's out there. And I, you know what? In all honesty, I do like it. It's uh, it's a very good casual game. Uh, however, 
when there's microtransactions and things like that, I have to really consider how much I'm going to be devoting to the game. And honestly, I didn't find enough reason for me to devote to it. Okay, well, uh, I can I can understand that argument. Uh, it's hard to devote time to a game. I mean, I have friends that play it, and that's one of the biggest reasons I play it, because I really enjoy having friends. And it also has an incentivized daily quest-type system. Uh, Blizzard is very good at that, uh, incentivizing their players. So, um, so I would totally support uh, Heroes of the Storm being given this kind of recognition. Uh, so as someone who has played an absurd amount of... Uh, League of Legends in the past. Uh, I have I no longer play League of Legends. I don't find myself with the time for it anymore. Uh, and what I really appro- appreciate about Blizzard's approach to the MOBA genre is that it is less. It has a less of a steep learning curve, um, and it doesn't have a bunch of aspects to it that force you to be completely on top of every single patch release ever. I like that they simplified the MOBA genre. Um, I think League of Legends did that over Dota, and that's why League got popular. And I think that Heroes of the Storm simplifies it yet again, removing the items, I think, was a really good choice. I mean, while that gives you diversity of character, I think their their talent that they put in the game um, instead helps you diversify your approach to each character without ruining their kit or how they, they interact. Um, I also find that the shared team level really reduces people being um, as as rude to each other, and it it removes the complete feeling of helplessness when you're losing a game. And I very much appreciate that the games stay short. I mean, when you when you're playing Dota, when you're playing League, you can accidentally have a game last an hour when you're just trying to get something in quick within 30 minutes. And while most games end under 30 minutes, when you do get those occasional hour games, it can really screw up your schedule when you're uh, an adult with responsibilities. Absolutely. I want to speak to that just a little bit because I love that aspect of Heroes of the Storm. I mean, it's fantastic to be able... I work 12 hours a day at a job and I commute two hours, round uh, one hour back and forth. So it's like... Absolutely. You know, I don't have a lot of time for gaming. I really don't. I leave my house six in the morning. I'm not home till 630 in the evening. And so when I come home, being able to jump into a game that I can finish a whole game in 30 minutes is huge for me. It just really is. I mean, I've also spent some marathon sessions, particularly with Ray when Ray plays, because uh, she's really good and she likes to play as well. I've also spent some like really long marathon sessions playing. So like maybe like two, three hours and then take a quick break in two or three more hours. But uh, I love it. And I think the hero, the talent build system is completely viable uh, instead of items. It still builds meta. There's still situations where you pick a talent in response to something else. I think it's a great game. It's also balanced, which is so hard in, in MOBA games. It's so hard to achieve balance in a MOBA game. It's almost impossible in a lot of cases to have a mobile game that is, like, balanced <laughs> at all. It just doesn't work. So I'm glad to have a balanced MOBA to play. And uh, I love playing it with my friends. I mean, it's it's fun. Uh, right, Ray? Yeah. Um, so when I was introduced to Heroes of the Storm, um, it was actually just before I met Fiona. Uh, my wife introduced me to Heroes of the Storm as it exited closed beta. And um, I ha- honestly had no idea what I was doing. Um, the first hero I played was Nova, and anyone who like knows me well knows that I am a huge Nova fan. And uh, so I was dying left and right, and I was getting really frustrated. But the game hooked me; it kept me there. And once I learned the fundamentals, I've put like 
500 hours into this game, and in terms of, like, number of hours played, I hate to, like, take games and distill them into hours and be like, how much entertainment does $60 get me? But, like, I got more entertainment from Heroes of the Storm than any other game this year, and you don't have to pay any money for that game. The only things that I spent money on that game were optional cosmetics that I, I wanted to have because I've played so much. Yeah, I probably spent about 40 or $50 American on that game, um, but I don't regret it at all because the amount of time playing with friends, I think, is the big hook for that game. Getting into a Skype chat with a full party is really fun. Yeah, um, it is. It's it's crazy fun. To play. I mean, press one, one, press one. Press one, I'm pressing one. Um, I think also one thing that Heroes um, did that other games don't do is once you get comfortable in a role and start, you know, learning other characters in a role, um, it kind of forces you, because you're, if you're playing with friends, to go outside that comfort zone and try other roles that you might normally not try. So, yeah, like, I mean, you love to play Nova, and Nova's, like, my primary character. I love my, my stealth assassins. So when I play with you, I will often jump out, and that's how I found Anubarak. Like, I also play pretty good Anubarak, and, like, I would never have played Anubarak, who's, like, a tanky DPS. I just wouldn't have ever played him, because I wouldn't have ever thought about it, but because you wanted to play Nova, I was like, I'll try this Anubarak guy. Yeah, same here with uh, Leoric. I actually ended up really liking um, Leoric, and I was surprised at that as well. Because I'm not normally kind of the bruiser tank character. Same with Arthas. Um, those are roles I don't really usually... I usually play roles that are behind the front lines, so to be on the front lines is a little bit of a change, and leading the charge is a little bit of a change, but uh, I like changing it up. And the fact that Blizzard has been continuously balancing and tweaking characters, so your builds change as the patches go, but it's not as complicated as League, and you get new maps and stuff introduced too, like we saw the Towers of Doom map near the end of this year that, that had new mechanics, which I, I still think that that map was originally supposed to come out on Halloween, like that feels very much like a Halloween. Renee, you also play uh, Heroes of the Storm, right? Uh, yeah, I, I do when I, I have the time, I can't say that I've put in nearly as many hours as, as you both, uh, but... Yes, that's the the only MOBA I play, and um, I usually play it with some of my friends and, and some of my guildmates. Um, my favorite hero to play is uh, Malfurion, because I like being a pain in the butt support. It's so satisfying to land in Tangling Roots properly. <laughs> uh, can I just say that you should come play with us, because our Malfurions never effing land in Tangling Roots. So annoying. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I usually go for Entangling Roots and... Um, the slowing moonfire. So if you like chasing people down, I'll make sure that you can catch them. Yeah, so that's that's my game of the year. I mean, that's about all I've got to say about uh, about Heroes of the Storm. I think it's a great fun game, and the, one of the coolest parts of it is its accessibility. I mean, both of the other games we talked about. I don't know what The Witcher 3's current price is, but I know that um, that uh, MGS Five is still priced at sixty dollars. So. You know, it's those are both full big release games, and um, <laughs> Heroes is not. Heroes is free. You can pick it up from Blizzard's website. You can try it out. You can play it uh, for five days and uninstall it forever and never touch it again. You can play it for the rest of your life, and either way, it costs the same amount, which is $0. So I think that's a huge factor for me as well. Okay, so let's move on to the last pick, which was mine, which was Fallout 4. So... Fallout 4, for me, was like a godsend. We knew it was coming. You know, there were leaks, I think, back in 2012. And um, so we knew bits and pieces, but uh, we really had no solid confirmation. And then Blizzard, just ahead of E3, was like, 
here's a trailer, and then at E3 we got a full 45-minute demo, and they're like, oh, it'll be out in five months. It was such a refreshing change of pace from the typical two- to three-year announcement cycle. That... Can we just dwell on the fact of how insane that is right away? Like, this was literally E3 was the first time we ever heard anything about this game. Um, they've done it with consoles. <laughs> Sega Saturn in 95, surprise, here it is, and it's available today. Yeah, that uh, was 10 years ago. 20. 20 years ago. <laughs> oh god, I'm so old. Um, in terms of other games, I, I can't think of, a, in recent memory, a large game where they're just like, it will be out in five months. Like, usually you get smaller digital titles where they're like, it's available today, but I can't think of any big retail dollars games that that happened with. Anybody, can anybody think of one? Now, are you specifically speaking about how they didn't really reveal the game prior? Or, I'm sorry, I'm not fully following there. What I'm saying is that that game didn't have the typical hype cycle that games do. Like, for example, Metal Gear Solid V got announced in, like, 2012, and it just released this year. It had three years of conventions and special events and trailers. Fallout 5, they announced it, like, two weeks before E3, they dropped the first trailer, and then at their press conference, showed 45 minutes of gameplay, and we're like, oh, by the way, it will be out in five months. Like, people will have it in their hands. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think that, you know, there were leaks. I think, in particular, there was a, a bit of a, a scandal, actually, with Polygon, I think, if memory serves right. Kotaku. Or was, okay, Kotaku, where they had, uh, they had been told off-record that the game existed, and they published information about it. Oh, um right. Among among some other interesting scandals, uh, you know, of the year. So like that was that that I think we we knew it existed, but I think what Ray's really saying is that there wasn't hype. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was a little confused because I was I've I was quite aware of the whole uh, Kotaku um, blacklisting issue. Um, but yeah, it is a very interesting approach, and I, I think it's kind of refreshing in a way, not having to to be on the multi-year hype train. I agree. I wish every game was literally announced six months before it came out. That'd be awesome. But to, like, talk about the game itself. So, like, yes, its announcements and its its um, its PR cycle was refreshing, just, you know, as someone who writes about games a lot. But then once I got the game in my hand, like, basically they've taken the foundation they built with Fallout 3, and they've just streamlined everything. Like, the shooting feels fantastic, which... I didn't think I'd say that about a Fallout game. The shooting feels fantastic. The, the so, world is vibrant and colorful. Like It does have to be said that the reason, one of the reasons this game was able to be published with the time it was published in was that it does run on the Skyrim engine. So it's not a new engine, and it, it, they didn't require the body of programming that it would have required if we had gotten a, a true new engine game. But that's Bethesda. Bethesda's games have always been iterative like that. Like, you can trace the engine back to Gamebryo with Morrowinds, and then they upgraded it for... I can't remember what the engine was called for Oblivion, and then they upgraded it again for Skyrim, and it became the creation engine, and now it's whatever the engine is for Fallout. Like, they've, they've been constantly iterating on that. Like, that's... True evolution since since its beginnings, and I think that's one of the better parts of the current game Fallout 4 is that, you know, it, it's taken what has been tried and true to a certain degree, and it's it's just, it's you can feel that it's been built and built and built up, and it, it it's a very good experience because of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed Fallout 4. I did. I had, I have like 60 hours or four or something like that logged in it. I, it was fun. Unfortunately, I, I kind of dropped out after one point, and I haven't really picked it back up since. But I, I had fun with it while I was playing it. I think that there were, were some missteps with this game, um, most notably the fact that, you know, there's a ton of water on the map and that there's nothing there. I mean, obviously, especially with stuff that people have data mined out of the code, like, that was an intention and just they didn't finish it. Uh, also, the fact that the dialogue system is not very clear about what the options you're choosing will do. Um, you know, they're trying to go for a Mass Effect thing and it doesn't quite work. Like, so the, the game is not perfect but just the amount of content and how immersed I was in that world, in the 40 hours that I played, you know, I didn't want to put it down. I put in 40 hours, you know, as much as a full-time job the week of release, and I lived and breathed Fallout. And I think that that's why, um, that's why it's my game of the year, because I lived and breathed Fallout, and I think the only way I could get closer to that uh, experience would, would be to, you know... Um, go get some exposure to some radiation, but I, I don't think I'll be doing that anytime soon. Please don't do that. I, 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 don't support, I don't support that, that immersive type of gameplay. All right, so does anybody else have anything else on a Fallout 4? Uh, anybody else want to talk about it? I, Fallout 4 was one of the few games this year that was completely free of scandal. Uh, I will say that. I'm really looking forward to playing it, uh, but with my deadlines coming up, I intentionally made sure not to purchase it for myself and, and won't until next year. That was probably a very smart decision. Uh, it, it can eat lives, uh, lives I know, absolutely. Uh, so I think that wraps it up for all of our favorite games of the year, and uh, now I'd like to discuss just a little bit two of the games that I think we most talked about as our runners-up. Um, first, let's go ahead and talk about Rocket League. I mean, I don't know how... I, I, don't, I didn't want to pick Rocket League as my game of the year because I just think it's... it's uh, save me. It's casual. Someone's going to be mad at me for saying that. It's a casual game. Um, it really is. It has a competitive elements, but I think it's a casual game. And I don't think that a game that's entire... doesn't have literally a story or a gameplay can be considered as game of the year material. So... Do y'all agree with me or disagree on that one? Um, you know, I I think that it's it's a really good game and it's sort of unique in some ways. Uh, but I I agree with you. It'd be similar to voting Goat Simulator as game of the year. So, like, quick note: I think someone did do that last year, didn't they? Let me look it up really quick. Ray, do you have you have it on PS4? Don't you? Um. Yeah, I have uh, Rocket League on PS4, and I played it a bit in the in the summer, like when it was really big, like that month and a half, two months, July and August, where like everyone in the PlayStation community was uh, was talking about it. And it, it's fun. It's something I enjoyed a few hours, you know, for an evening. Um, would I consider it new year material? Probably not. Um, I think that people might be talking about it in the scope of Game of the Year, just because of how big of a phenomenon this game became um, because something like that, you know, could have easily fizzled out or just gone under the radar and instead it just exploded. And I think a big part of that is because um, it was accessible to so many people with Sony's inclusion of it in plus. So I looked up the goat thing. So uh, Greg Miller, host of Up at Noon on IGN, uh, did vote, did, did pick Goat Simulator as his game of the year last year, which I think is ridiculous. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's interesting. I actually, um, I'm friends with the people at that studio, so I don't know how much they've talked about how that that game came about, but that came out as uh, they were trying to get their new um, employees or interns to learn their physics engine and told them to make whatever they wanted, and they decided to make a goat simulator. Um, And they didn't implement the physics perfectly, which is what caused all of those really interesting <laughs> things to happen. I absolutely uh, I absolutely love Goat Simulator, and I think I've played like four or five hours of it, which is a long time for a game that has no content. Let's establish that Goat Simulator doesn't have any story content. It does have objectives, I guess, but it doesn't have like any story or content really in it. And that's a long time to play that kind of game, and it was all in one run too, but it's definitely not, in my opinion, anything close to a game of the year candidate for a game. And I think Rocket League falls into that same category. I, I agree with you on that. Just a term for you to avoid casuals in case you don't like using that. I, I like saying that some games like that are considered burst games or burst session games, kind of like uh, Battlefront and Rocket League and thing, games where the sessions are very small. I like using that because, honestly, when I think casual games, I think games that are you know that are on cell phones, and I, I, I honestly don't think that Rocket League fits into that. Uh, personally, I think... It, it would have been this stale kind of one or two a time experiences but or per session but I think this this mutators thing that came out for it um, really expanded on it because it allowed you the flexibility of changing all kinds of things about the game and uh, allowed you to really play with uh, the, the game's mechanics, a lot of things, like there's a certain way you can change it where it changes from a soccer game with rocket cars to a hockey game with ca- uh, rocket cars. And it just really expanded what it, what it is. And I think it, the only reason it was even a competitor is just because of that attention from the developer to expand and change the product to keep it fresh, to keep it moving forward, and especially for console titles, you don't really see that a whole lot. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, doesn't didn't the developer put in the ability to export gifts like built into the game? Not that I'm aware of, is at least for the console versions. That would not be on the console version, but on the PC version, are you talking about Rocket League still? Yes. Yes, I think Rocket League's console version does actually have that uh, ability. Yes. I, I would think that that would actually be a very smart development move, and, and the reason why the game got so popular is because the only reason I heard about it were people posting these ridiculous gifts, and giving your uh, your players an easy way to export those is sort of basically encouraging them to share it, and it ends up being a giant hype machine. Yeah, I mean, Rocket League is a great game of a, a great example of a viral game. Um, it, it just it exists as it's popular because of the internet. Um, pre, I don't know, like pre-2008, 2007, Rocket League probably wouldn't have gotten off the ground. Uh, there simply wasn't weren't as many sharing tools and there weren't, wasn't as much ability to share things. And since, that, since we've now got these remarkable tools for sharing and games can really go viral. And I think one of the first games that ever did that was Minecraft. And I really don't want to open that can of worms about talking about Minecraft right now, but... <laughs> One of the first games that owes its success—it's really owes its success to the somewhat viral nature of video game of modern video games, or at least modern indie video games—is Minecraft. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, it's interesting. So I, I mentor high school students in game development. So I get to talk to high school students sometimes and how much they how much weight they put in Let's Plays and how integrated they are with YouTube and YouTube personalities is really astounding to me. Um, and it truthfully makes me feel kind of old because <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> My four-year-old cousin knows who PewDiePie is. Yeah, it's, it's a new era of celebrity. It's very strange. It really is. Uh, and uh, you know what? It's good for video games. I'm okay with it. All right, so the next uh, the next game that I think... Um, I'm sorry, Ray, I didn't give you a chance to respond. Do you think that uh, Rocket League on console is good enough to merit nomination for Game of the Year? Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, I enjoyed it. It was good to pick up and play. The developer has done a fantastic job um, supporting their game. And I can certainly see why... Uh, the community has rallied behind this game, why it has built such a huge following, uh, because it is fun, it is uh, great to just pick up and play and play with friends, and it's got a league feature, so if you want to be a little more heavily invested, you can. Um, I just think that, um, I guess, in a hypothetical vacuum, without Sony's you know huge plus marketing push, where it get, the game gets pushed to millions of PS4s for free, I don't think it would have taken off. I think it would have been successful, but it wouldn't have been taken off. And I just don't think that it offers the same amount of content and experience that the other games that we've talked about here for Game of the Year contender. It is a great game, but I don't think it's quite GOTY standards. Awesome. It's nice to hear a dissenting opinion every once in a while. I appreciate it. And then the last one, the the 400-pound elephant in the room, the emotional powerhouse, the game that launched a thousand tears, Undertale. I don't think it's worthy of Game of the Year. I'm going to get a lot of flack for hearing that, for saying that, but uh, I have done not much playing of Undertale, but I have done a lot of watching of people play Undertale, and you know what? It doesn't speak to me at all. I think it's just, it's it's a wonderful RPG game. I'm glad that people are still developing kind of um, NES-era style RPG games that have an emphasis on story and, and aren't full of hundreds of complex mechanics and have a basic puzzle solving. and that, But I don't think that makes it worthy of Game of the Year. I haven't played it yet. I, I bought it last week. I'm planning to play it um, over the holidays um, because it is kind of a you know, warm and fuzzy kind of game that changes up uh, you know, established um, established formulas, and hey, it's got a lot of uh, earthbound kind of uh, vibe going for it. So, I'm, I I think it's going to make a great holiday experience for me, alongside playing the first Kingdom Hearts. I think that will be a very uh, warm and fuzzy time. Um, whether or not it deserves a game of the year or not, I can't say. I haven't played it yet. Uh, but certainly it's built a fan base very quickly, uh, a fan base that got it, you know, all the way into the finals for the best game ever poll on GameFAQs, and that was its own huge thing. So certainly there's some merit behind this game, that this little indie game that costs $10 is, is really touching people and, and really bringing out some emotions, and, you know, sometimes even $60 games can't do that. So uh, obviously Undertale has had an impact. And this game, I'd like to say, is is hugely winning popularity based on appeals to emotion. And saying anything more than that is absolutely a spoiler for the game, and so I'm not going to say it. But go out there and play the game, um, and I think you'll probably agree with what I've had to say, which is that although the game is an emotional experience and it's a good game, it's not something that in 20 years we're going to look back on and go, wow, that was a great game. Um, it's, it's definitely not... <laughs> 
it's not going to become one of the pillars of modern gaming. I'll put it that way. So uh, I don't know if Kenny or Renee, you've had a chance to even look at uh, Undertale at all? Yeah, I I have. And actually, Ray, it's kind of interesting that you brought up Earthbound because honestly I feel that my opinions of Undertale fit very much in line with Earthbound, and I think that's why it's gotten a very mixed response because it's just not some people's cup of tea, and uh, to other people, it's their everything, and that's really, like, if any of you have followed the uh, Mother series at all, you know what the fan base can be like in regards to that, and honestly, I just, that's exactly my feel. It's offbeat. It's not like uh, it doesn't have that same mainstream appeal, but it's definitely something worth getting into, especially considering its price tag, no doubt. So I haven't played Undertale myself, um, but many of my friends have talked about it and have expressed their appreciation and, and awe towards it. So I've, I've looked into it, um, and it certainly seems like a good game. Um, but yeah, I don't have enough first-hand experience with it to to really make a claim towards its overall quality or if it's a worthiness or lack of for being game of the year. Okay, uh, I think that's it then. Um, does anybody have any final closing comments that they want to talk about in terms of uh, in terms of games of the year, in terms of how we determine game of the year, in terms of how we feel about the idea of game of the year uh in general i just have to say that 2017 is clearly going to be the year that we all bow down to tetsuri nomura and he finally releases final fantasy 15 the final fantasy 7 remake and kingdom hearts 3 all in one year and that's all we talk about for the entire year <laughs> oh that's quite the thing to look forward to then no complaints i do i do think that um <laughs> for sure i do think that uh, 2017 or 2016 is going to be a big year for games. Uh, I think we've got a lot that's coming. I think we're going to see a lot of exciting things. Um, I hope that uh, I hope that you know we go that we get through it uh, without you know any major crises in gaming. Uh, the last couple years have been tumultuous. <laughs> I want to say, yeah, that's that's the way to put it. They've been, you know, we they haven't been the best used for gaming as a whole as a community, but I think that we've recovered, and you know, I think that developers continue to put out strong games, and it's it's really interesting and awesome to see every year the difference that you know that that gaming makes in in the lives of people. And game of the year is always a fun time because we get to look back at the year in retrospective and see all the stuff that we played this year and how it affected us. Yeah, this next couple of years are going to be so exciting. Just hearing you talk about 2016 is making me bounce in my seat, literally. It's a little bit immature, but I don't care because the little gamer in me that grew up playing Super Nintendo, playing Sega Genesis is coming back. Honestly, the last generation was kind of slow for the big, you know, game-changing uh, hits that people will carry and talk about for the next so many years or decades to come. I think the last generation was kind of missing that, and this this generation is getting off to kind of a slow start, but now it seems like 2016 is going to be where it hits its stride and just takes off, and it goes back to where it used to be, and it, it's just 
to me, it's an exciting time. This, the end of this year is proof of that start. We're seeing Fallout 4. We're seeing Metal Gear Solid 5. We're seeing games that were anticipated, games that we wanted to see, and we're seeing a lot of strong indie support and a lot of strong support from minor development development companies as well. It's, it's, it is a great time to be a gamer, and I think that's going to ease off a lot of this... Uh, this anxiety and this this kind of uh, trouble that the community's been having as well, I think it's going to be a big time. For this. Well said, well said, well said. Um, something that is really exciting that's happening this next year that no one's mentioned is both uh, both the HTC Vive and the Oculus Rift are coming out in the first quarter. So we may see ourselves in the era of virtual reality. I, I friggin' can't wait. Uh, I hope. I think I'm going to try to get a rift at at release. Uh, Renee, I know that you already are well into the world of VR, and I absolutely am looking forward to seeing your VR content in the coming year. Thank you, thank you. Um, I, like right now, I'm not currently developing my own. I'm helping. I'm helping other people develop theirs. Uh, but certainly, I. I hope to to be able to approach that when I finish potions, and um, I certainly am going to be playing VR games a lot. I already have been, so I look forward to it. Closing words now, editor in chief. Um, so hopefully you've enjoyed our look back at uh, 2015 and our discussion and our you know dissenting opinions on the different games that have come out. Um, over the past 12 months. It's been an absolutely awesome 12-month ride for us. Broken Joysticks is uh, stronger than it ever has been. Um, all of our writers and all of our staff here on the podcast or on the website do a fantastic job. They work really hard. Um, and so a, a thanks to them uh, is certainly in, in order. And a thanks to our readers and listeners, because without you, without you visiting our site, without you listening to our podcasts on iTunes... Um, there's no project for us to work on. So um, I'd like to personally thank each and every one of you who work on the site or visit the site or email, you know, fan emails. Get fan emails now. That's that's insane. I never would have thought that this little hobby project that I started three years ago would become something that would actually have fans emailing us. So thank you so much for being with us over the last 12 months. Um, the next 12 months, we've got some big surprises in store. So please hold on tight. Enjoy holidays. Play some of your favorite games. If you disagree with us, email us at pr at brokenjoysticks.net. If you agree with us, let us know. We want to hear. And we'll see you in 2016.